We're in a series now on the miracles of Jesus. You know, he's still a miracle-working God. He still does miracles. It's one thing to know that fact in your mind. It's another thing to know it, really believe it, and experience it. If all we know about miracles is just historical and not actual in our life experience, we really haven't gotten it yet, okay? We know it, sure, God is a miracle-working God. I'm sure all of us have known that because we've read the Bible, and it says that, and it shows examples of that. But how many miracles have we been a part of or seen or known about personally? Probably much less than that. But really, it doesn't have to stay that way. It may be that way, but it doesn't have to stay that way because we serve a God who's manifest through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, who is active today, doing things today, answering prayer today, saving people today, healing people today, filling people with the Holy Spirit today, delivering people from demons today, and doing signs and wonders and miracles. He is doing it today. Now, whether that's truthful in our individual lives or not may be different with different people. Some people may have seen and experienced more miracles than others, and that's okay. But I'm saying that he's still doing everything he's been doing. If he were not those things that I just mentioned, you couldn't be born again. Personally, my belief is the new birth is the greatest miracle of all human miracles because all the rest are dependent to some degree upon his work in the cross. And next week, we're going to talk about the resurrection. Man, what a miracle. I mean, people get restored to life now, but that's different than a resurrection. Those are two different things, kind of similar but different. One is restoration to life and the person dies again. Resurrection, you have an immortal body. You don't die again. That's great. That's fantastic. But if you're lost in sin and you're spiritually dead and you hear the gospel message and you receive that gospel message as truth and you act on it positively, you get a miracle because what was dead and blind on the inside now has life and sight. And what you couldn't believe before, now you can believe. Thank God. That's a miracle. So if you're born again, whether you know it or not, you've experienced at least one miracle. Let me say that again. If you're born again, whether you know it or not, you have experienced at least one miracle. I want to start off by reading a passage in Matthew chapter 4 before I actually get to my main text. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. I want you to see the ministry of Jesus, how it was fourfold. The Bible said, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demonized, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. The fourfold ministry of Jesus is the ministry the church has today. 
we got assigned to us the same ministry that he had. Now, it's not self-generated, thank God. He took his ministry and has given us to individuals, to the church, to the body of Christ. Teaching, preaching, healing the sick, and delivering the demonized. You know, when he sent out the 72, I believe it's, what is it, Luke 10 is one place, and then, then again in Matthew, when he sent them out, he told them to do those things. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. When he gave the great commission, go make disciples, preach Jesus, water baptize them, teach them everything I've commanded you. See, we have assigned to us that same ministry. Anything less than that is subpar. Hello? Anything less than that is subpar. We're not ascending spiritually until we start doing what he assigned for us to do. And then we build on that and go even further with his plan. I'm going to look at a passage in the book of Luke chapter 7. You'll also find this passage in the book of Matthew chapter 8 verses 5 to 13. But the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 7 gives us some information that you don't find in Matthew. And I know there are critics out there in the higher criticism theological thought realm that say, well, that must prove then the Bible's not reliable because in one book it says it this way and in another book it says it that way. Well, different writers wrote from different perspectives based on the information that they had. And I really like Matthew because he's rather straightforward. He don't add in some things. But if I want to see the bigger picture, then I need to read Luke because he says some things that Matthew doesn't say. So we'll be reading the text. I want to do it in about three different things here today. I want to look at the narrative, and then we'll look at the next two things after that. But let's look at the basic scripture first. Luke chapter 7. Now, when he had concluded all his teachings in the hearing of the people, that is, he came off of the mount, he entered Capernaum, which was his adopted city. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, and that's a good thing to hear about him, and that's good today, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. Matthew doesn't mention this. In Matthew, it appears as if Jesus, I'm correction, the centurion came to Jesus personally, but Luke indicates while he did not come personally, he was there in the person of his representative. You know, a person in authority doesn't have to do everything. He has people that work with him that carries out his expressed will. And actually, if you read Luke's definition or this discourse here from his perspective, you actually can see authority in action. You don't see it as clearly in Matthew, but when you see all these other things that Luke adds to the story, we see that, hey, he's illustrating what he's going to talk about in just a little bit. And when his servant, that is, when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and was built and has built us a synagogue. I want to pause there a minute. I don't know about you, but what I see in that sentence is this, a works mentality. Well, now, you know, you need to come and heal this centurion servant because this centurion is a good guy. 
He deserves for his servant to be healed. He's built us a synagogue. He's done all these good works. But you know, from the New Testament perspective, post the cross and Pentecost after it, we don't get things because we deserve them. We get things that God has provided because he's gracious. He is loving. He is merciful. You and I don't deserve any good thing. But guess what? He provided it and out of his grace, love, and mercy has given it. But now he didn't understand that. And even you'll find examples in the Gospels in various places and even some over in Acts uh, talking about Dorcas, I believe, when she had died and they were gathered there about her and they were, people were crying and they were saying, oh, look at these beautiful garments that she has made. And, and they went on and on and on as if that were deserving of being raised from the dead. No, those things didn't des- make her deserving of being raised from the dead. It was the fact of what Jesus had done that made her deserving of being raised from the dead. You see the point here. We need to understand that continuously. Most of us are so works-oriented, it's hard for us to get out of works and get into faith and trust God sometime. Then Jesus went with them. And when it was already not far from the house, the centaur sent friends to him, saying to him, listen to this, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Therefore, I didn't even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. I mean, this guy had more faith than some of the disciples did. He was a a Roman centurion, like a captain over a hundred men. He wasn't even under the old covenant plan and purpose. He was something totally outside of that. And yet, because he was a man under authority... He could recognize authority in Jesus when he heard about him. What he heard about Jesus, he could see that's a man of authority. When he speaks, things happen. So he must have some authority. Now let me tell you something about authority, even though that's not my topic. It is appropriate. If you want authority, you have to be under authority. We need to get that. If you want authority, if you want to speak and act authoritatively, you have to be under a greater authority than yourself because all authority has been given to Jesus and he has distributed his authority to believers. And for that authority to work the way he desires for it to, you and I have to be under and obedient to his authority. In other words, I don't have authority today to say just anything I want to say. Only time I have that freedom is if I'm saying what he wants me to say. Right? We do not have authority to speak and act any way we choose. Why? Because we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See that? So we don't have authority unless we are operating in obedience to him who is authority. All right? So this guy got it. He said, I'm a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. I say, go. He goes to another come, and he comes to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And he turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And they who were sent returned to the house and found the servant well who had been sick. Wow. Now there's three things in there that I'll put emphasis on today. And that is authority, faith, and the healing. Authority, faith, and healing. And they work together. Now, I've often thought, Lord, what, what? I wish you would give me more authoritative words. I've said that to God on many occasions. I've almost quit saying that. Not entirely, but almost. Because I've learned I can say it better than that. And that is, Lord, let me be so obedient that you can give me the say, what to say and I can say it correctly. And I know if I can do that, his word is packed with his power. And he needs voices, people who will cooperate with him in propagating his word. You see the difference? So the centurion said, speak the word. That's King James. Speak the word and my servant will be healed. Speak the word. Psalm 107 verse 20. The Israelites were always getting in trouble. Just like people today. They were always getting in trouble. And they'd, the enemy would come in and conquer them or put them under bondage. And they would cry out to God. And God would intervene. And it says in Psalm 107.20, And he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And then they would rejoice in that for a while. Pretty soon they'd kind of go cold and indifferent and back off of the obeying God and the same thing would happen again. And they would repent and God would send his word and heal them and deliver them. The word of God is powerful. I said the word of God is powerful. I mean, I mean this scripture. And I mean this scripture anointed by the Holy Spirit in your mouth. In your mouth. If you're a believer, you've been set apart. You've been sanctified. And you and I need to have a sanctified thought. And we need to have sanctified words. And if you and I speak those words from God in agreement, obviously, with his word, because if it's not in agreement with his word, we're not a, a servant under authority. And so our authority is limited to the degree that we are operating outside his word and spirit. And you need to think about that sentence I just said. They'll probably wake you up about 2 o'clock in the morning. We need to realize that we have authority as we obey his word and his spirit on the inside of us. Now when Jesus speaks, th things happen. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, about 10 times in that one chapter, it'll say this, and God said, or and then God said, and boom, something came. Let there be light. And what did it say next? And there was light. And God said. And you know how he said all those things and did all those things? In the person of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Jesus was the one 
who spoke. The Father decreed, Jesus spoke, and the Spirit of God moved. The triune God was all involved. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and nothing was made that, that He didn't make. It was made by Him. Jesus was active in creation. He was the Word. 1 John 5, 7, I believe it is. You have the Father, you have the Word, and you have the Spirit. That's the Godhead. And Jesus was there, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So Jesus speaks, and when He does, things happen. Let's look at another passage, John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak unto you, they're spirit and life. That's what Jesus said. He said, the words I speak are spirit and they're life. So if you and I want to see creative things happen, what do we need to do? We need to speak words that are spirit and that are full of life. His spirit and life makes dead things well, makes things come alive. His spirit and life makes dead things come alive. So if you feel dead on the inside, here's what you do. You start speaking the promises of God that relate. Because remember, his word is full of life. His word is full of life. Say it again. The Word of God is full of life. I've seen some miracles over the years, a few. And, but I'll tell you, the, ones, the most powerful ones I have seen happen have been when I knew that I knew that I had a word from God to obey God in a specific way. And when I would do that exactly like I was told, Miraculous things would happen. Now, set that aside for a minute. Walk over here. There have been other times I have prayed and declared things simply because I believed from the Word of God that that was needed and necessary and good. And sometimes I have seen those things happen and sometimes they don't happen. What's the difference? One of them was, I think, on the first example I gave you, I was much more in tune with the Word of God and the voice of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps the other times that I prayed and declared and didn't get it, maybe that was something that was more of the flesh. And the flesh profits nothing, but the Spirit gives life. I've, I've been sent on a few times to go minister to people simply because God said, you go do this. And there's time I could give you some examples. There are times that I've, I don't want to do that. I've even said that to the Lord. Let me remind you, that's not a good thing to say. <laughs> Please don't do that. I'm learning not to do that. Lord, I don't want to do that. And I felt like he said, and this may be my own thoughts, but I felt like he had said, yeah, I know you don't want to, but I want you to. And then those times that I've said, okay, Lord, I'll go. But I know what they're going to do. 
And sometimes I'd be right. They responded exactly the way I knew they were going to, even though God told me to do something different than that. The word, he said, that I speak are spirit and life. Know this. In every word from God, it contains the ability to produce what it promises. You need to get a hold of that nugget. In every word from God, it contains the ability to produce what that word says. Luke chapter 8, I believe in verse 11, it says in the parable about the four types of soils, he's, he's talking about the seed was planted in this condition, this condition, this and this. Then he starts illustrating or explaining it to the disciples and he told them plainly, the seed is the word of God. See, the seed. That seed, the word of God, has within it the ability to produce. We know this agriculturally. You plant grass seed and you get apple trees, right? No. You get grass and sometimes you get weeds. Because there's some seed mixed in there. My point is this. The, the word. The Word of God is the seed. And in that seed is the ability that can be released to produce that grass, that tree, that plant, whatever. And apple seeds don't produce wheat. It has the ability within the seed to produce an apple tree which will produce apples. Get the point? Same thing is true with the Word of God. If you and I have a true word from God, if we are under his authority, we can speak his word, and in that word is creative ability to produce what that word promised. You and I have been born again because of that. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 30, or 23. Having been born again by incorruptible seed through the word of God which lives and abides forever. So you and I receive the incorruptible seed, which was the word of God. And as a result of that, when we responded like we were supposed to, we were born anew. That's how you got born again. Look at this, John chapter 3, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And the Spirit of God doesn't produce flesh. And the flesh doesn't produce the Spirit of God. Totally separate entities. One produces one type of behavior, another produces the other. Romans 8, 9. But, if you, are, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. So, you see, you and I, before we became believers, uh, Christians, disciples of Jesus, we were totally flesh oriented we had a dead spirit all we knew a few, a few things that were human spirit originated but I'm talking about the spirit of God that spirit of God was dead toward God it was out of fellowship relationship with God it was spiritually blind but you got born again and the very life of God came into you now he says we believers disciples of Jesus are now classified as being in the spirit that is that's our standing before God 
if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if you don't have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, he said you're not his. The Spirit moves in and takes up residence when you got born again. Every disciple of Jesus, every person who's been born again has the Spirit of God living in him or her, that person, because he moved in when Jesus became Savior and Lord. Now, one other scripture, Romans 8, 11, says this. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, stop there, question, okay, does he, the Spirit of him, Jesus, live in you? Does he dwell in you? Yes, he does if you're born again. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now here is why the word of God, when you speak it, is creative. Here's why. The spirit of God is already inside your regenerated spirit. So if you speak the promises of the Word of God, you are aligning yourself under His Lordship. Now you're operating out of His authority and you speak His Word. His Word contains spirit. His Word contains resurrection life. And it's able to give life to your mortal body. You know, all of us on this day have, have a mortal body. It simply means it's subject to death and some other things that you won't have. You won't have a mortal body after the resurrection. You'll have an immortal body, one that's not subject to death, sickness, etc. But now we have a mortal body. But you can still speak the promises of God to that mortal body and declare what the Word of God says that Jesus provided for it. For example, I don't feel good. You can sit there all day long and complain how bad you feel. And you'll start feeling worse. You know why? Because you're speaking death. You're opening the door for the enemy to come in and just smack you upside the head again. You think what the guy did in, at the ward show the other day in Hollywood was something? No, no, the devil's worse than that. He'll slap you worse than that. That was minor by comparison. So what should I do then? Start declaring what the Word of God says. I believe I receive that by His stripes I'm healed. In fact, I declare that by His stripes I'm healed. But are you going to have to line up to the promise of the Word of God because I'm not going to put up with this. In the name of Jesus, I am healed. I am well because of what Jesus did. And you start speaking like that. And guess what? You start speaking with authority. Because his word is authoritative. His word is, and his spirit work together. You start releasing what have, has been provided for you in the atonement. You say, well, I, I did that for five minutes and it didn't anything had changed. Well, do it for 10 minutes. If that don't work, do it for 20 well, I did it for an hour and it still didn't work. Well, do it for two. What am I saying? You keep doing what the Bible says you should be doing. 
Well, one day I, I heard, I was listening to Charles Capps, who's dead now, but he was a faith teacher of years ago in a conference, and, and Charles was talking about one day he, he was at a big meeting, and they were having like a kind of a fellowship time out in the foyer of this convention center, and he sneezed. Great faith man sneezed. Everybody sneezes, right? So this guy came up, Brother Caps, Brother Caps, are you catching a cold? He said, no, I'm catching a healing. You see the difference? If he had been declaring on the, oh, I guess I'm catching a cold. Well, yeah, you probably already caught it. It's pretty much going to manifest now. Or you can stand against it by saying the word of God says that by his stripes, I am healed. I have been healed. And I am healed. And I will be healed. Say, well, if you do that, you'll never die. No, no, you'll just die well. You just die well. Who says you have to be sick to die? That's bad theology. So just about everybody I know gets sick and die. I know that's because they're probably not doing what they should have been doing. I'm not speaking condemnation. I'm just saying there's a higher life that we can live. More biblical life we can live. And it affects what we believe and what we say. So I know people that confess that for months and even years and they still died sick. Yeah, I know some like that too. But I decide I don't want to be one of those. If you want to be one, help yourself. I decided I don't want to be one of those people. I decided that I want to die healthy. I want to be the healthiest dead man that's ever happened. Because I've already signed the back of my driver's license that says when I get through with this body, somebody else can have it. So I want to present them with a healthy body they can use. If they want parts of it, they can have it. I don't care. I don't need it anymore. But I want to give them a healthy body. Say, so, well, that's kind of arrogant. No, I don't believe it really is. I believe that's what God has provided for. Why? Because Jesus said it's finished. That redemption has been provided. It's finished. He's raised already from the dead. He's resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father. But closer than that, He lives in you via the Holy Spirit. And that same Spirit that raised Him up will quicken your and my mortal body and give it life. Don't you, do you feel good every day? No, some days I feel better than others. So don't you feel sick every once in a while? It's very seldom. Why? Because I have decided I'm not going to put up with it. Because I don't really believe I have to. I've had some challenges. Still have one every once in a while. But my point is, stand on the Word of God. Stand on the Word of God. Stand on the Word of God. Keep declaring what it says. Let it become so much a part of your life that you can hardly do without that promise in you. The ministry of Jesus was and is for both Jews and Gentiles. Jesus will not reject anyone who comes to Him with faith. 
His power is readily available today for any person who will accept Him. But we need to listen to the voice of the Spirit of God. And let me throw out another little tidbit here. You know how Jesus operated perfectly in this? In the book of John chapter 5, and I believe it's verse 19 as well as verse 30, it says Jesus only did what He saw His Father do. That's why it worked perfectly in His life. He only did what he saw his father do. And another passage in the Gospel of John where it's talking about the Holy Spirit, it says he only spoke what he heard. That is, the Spirit was speaking what he heard. That would be us. That will work in our life. The more that we see what has been promised and provided and act accordingly or in line with it, the greater success we will see in our ministries. Say, get that? The more in line we are with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, the will of the Father, we will see more and more success in doing what we've been assigned to do, which is make disciples to Jesus and teach them, he said, everything that I've taught you. And he said, I will be with you till the consummation of the ages. That means he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's with us in everything. Believe and speak the word of God. Did you know that's exactly what you did when you got born again? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you see both of those things in those verses? You believe, you speak. You believe, you speak. You believe, you speak. If you speak without believing, you're not there yet. If you believe without speaking, you're not there yet. You believe it, you speak it. That's what you did to get born again. That same principle is consistent in New Testament promises. You believe it. And you believe it enough, you speak it. And if you do that, you're going to see it. And you're going to experience it. Well, I want to experience it more. Okay, believe more. I'm talking about the promises of God and speak them. So what if I don't get it? Keep doing it. Well, I prayed for them and they died. Next. I told this story here before, but John Osteen, whose son, Joel, pastors the largest church in the United States, in that little city called Houston. But I was at John's convention back in the, I don't know, 70s, early 80s. And he was telling about how that he started early in his ministry and started that church and a bunch of stuff about that. But he was in his office one day and he was praying, Oh God, we want to see more signs, wonders, and miracles and healings. He had been praying several days off and on like that. So one day he was in there. Oh, God, we want to see more signs, wonders, miracles, and healings. And he said, the Lord spoke to him. He said, John, any sick people in your office? 
No, just me in here. Then go out where they are. So he did. He started laying hands on people. He, he was having crusades at that time. And so he had a prayer line. That's the way they used to do them in olden days. And he laid hands on this really, really sick guy. And he found out a couple of days later he died. So he laid hands on another one in a crusade. Really, really sick. Serious. More serious than a hangnail. And he died. He laid hands on, I believe it was like 10 people. And they all died. So he was discouraged. He goes back to God. He says, Lord, I want to see signs, wonders, miracles, and healings. But they die when I pray for them. So pretty soon people won't want me to pray for them. And he said, the Lord said to him, you do what I told you to do and I'll take care of the rest. That's not your job to heal them. That's my job. You obey what I said. And he said, so you know what I do? I just lay hands on them. I pray the word of God, the promises of God on, over them. And let God finish it up. And he said, you know, since I've been doing that, a whole lot more people have been getting healed. Let's learn from his example. From his experience. Speak the word. If they don't get healed... They go to heaven. If they do get healed, they get to live long down here and do the work of God until that time arrives for them.